what we're going to be talking about today in the next few weeks is the power of progress and how important progress is in our Christian walk. And if we don't have progress, we don't have anything. If we're not making forward, forward momentum, if we're, not, if we're not moving forward, we're ultimately moving backward. We don't stay stagnant very long. Life is a continuum of many small steps. So I just want to catch up where everybody's at. It's not any one large step in any one direction that gets us to the finish line, but it's a many, many, many small steps in life, and that's where we're at. And, um, and spiritual progress is the same way. If we don't become saved and then have it all, it takes a lot of living in between our moment of salvation and our moment of deliverance. And there's a whole step, there's a whole process of living that's a growing process in our spiritual walk. And it's just as important that you grow up spiritually as it is that you grow up physically. Physically, you grow up and you don't have a choice. Physically, you grow up and you don't, even if you don't want to, you're still going to get bigger and you're going to grow older. No matter how much you want to stay young, you're going to get old. But spiritually, that doesn't happen automatically. Spiritually, you can stay a baby all your life. It's your choice to grow. And it's very important that you take a very proactive and meaningful steps into growing spiritually. Um, it, if you don't progress, you're not, you're not going to live. Pro progress is essential to living. It's a part of it. We cannot live in a stationary mode very long, so we have to keep moving forward. But growing and progress is not just being busy. Not just being busy. I, I really like what John Angel James says in your handout that you see. Uh, he was an English a nonconformist clergyman back in 1853, and I want to read this. You can read along with me. It says, Progress is not only mere action, but a moving forward. A door turning upon its hinges is in a state of motion, but it never advances. A chariot moving upon wheels is not only inaction, but goes onward. The conduct of some people in religion resembles the former. There is action, but no advancement. They move but on its hinges, not on wheels. They go through, perhaps even with regularity, the exercises of devotion, both public and private. They may be mechanically exact and punctual. Still, they do not go forward. I hope that doesn't signify anybody here's spiritual life because that really is a symbol that, that Jesus talked about many times in parables about the Pharisees, about the way they lived their life about how they would talk a really big story, a big game, how they would um, dress up and how they looked the part and how they would beat their chest and how they would pray in public and how they would do all these grand things, but all they really were was a door on hinges. They were swinging, making lots of motion, even making lots of wind as that door opened and closed back and forth, but they made no spiritual progress. We can be just that way if we're not careful. If we're not diligently moving forward and diligently picking and choosing the activities that we do, we can be no different than a Pharisee. Those aren't very fun words to hear because it's very true that we can be just as pharisaical as they were. So, Lord, help us. Help us to pick the things that we do. Help us to, to, to be aware of our actions and our words and know how they, how they should go together so that we're just not merely action with no progress, that we are a chariot and that our wheels are moving forward and that we're making progress 
And it's very important that we work smart and sometimes and not just hard. It really makes a difference. So we want to, I want to speak this morning, and I want to just cover a few of the areas we talked about already on the areas of progress. Progress is, I see seven things here, and probably we'll add to it over the next few weeks. But progress, number one, is required. Number two, we must want progress in our life and in our church. Number three, progress always brings opposition. Always brings opposition. The pace of progress is very important in that we can maintain the pace through the end of the race. We're not just to sprint. This isn't the, this isn't the old turtle and the hare uh, parable, Aesop's parable with the turtle and the hare. We want to make sure that we're getting on the pace of progress that will get us to the end. Progress is built upon the past, a good foundation. But what's important is that we don't get stuck in the past, either in a failure or get stuck in a success, and we don't live in the past. So we have to understand that, that uh, the progress movement, progressive movement, is built upon my foundation. I have to start with a good foundation and move forward. We'll talk about that more. Number six, progress isn't afraid of change. In fact, it's actually a requirement of progress. And then progress is pleasing to God and those affected by it. We talked about... Number one, we talked about that progress is required of growth. And I love Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Uh, this is really, I think, if you were going to memorize a section of Scripture, I would urge you to memorize this one. Mark it in your Bible if you haven't already, but, but really listen to what Colossians, what Paul is saying to the Colossians in this chapter, in these few verses. He says, And so on, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those two verses scream out to me progress. I am constantly doing things that are pleasing to God. I am walking in God's way. I am being filled with his knowledge constantly according to spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. And I'm doing things that are worthy of the Lord. I'm making, I'm pleasing him every day with my walk. And I'm bearing fruit every day. That's progress. That's moving forward. That's increasing in the knowledge of God. We talked about the, that uh, progress is required of the church as well as in our own personal lives. The church has to grow, but the church will only grow as we personally grow because we are the church. The church is not physically this building. It is not the grounds that we're sitting on. It's not the grounds that we, that we, uh, we own. The church is us. We are the church. The church won't grow unless we grow. So they have to grow. We have to grow in order for the church to grow. And we use an example that it's important that we grow and the church grows wide and deep before it grows tall. We need to, get, we need to have a good foundation. We need to go right, wide with our root system and deep with our root system before we can grow tall because it's like a tree. A big tree has to have a good root system if it's going to last. We have a couple woodsmen here that go out and cut some wood, don't you, Jason and Patrick? 
And, uh, and when you know that, that when you cut a tree down, it, it, what falls is only what you see. But the root system below that, if it's not significant, that tree will never grow to any size. So the roots are very important, and that's what we need to make sure that in our life, that our root system is firmly grounded in the Word of God. It has to grow deep in God's Word and wide in God's Word before we can be anything of significance spiritually. We can talk a big game, but if we're not grounded well in the Word of God, then the first bit of adversity, the first big wind, the first big storm of life comes over. And if we're not grounded in the Word of God, if our root system isn't deep and wide, we're going to topple. And you know the enemy's going to topple you. You know he's going, to, he's going to come after you. You know he's going to bring opposition to you. So be wise and understand the significance and the importance of growing deep and wide in God's Word. We need to be progressively growing deep and wide. The foundational root system has to be strong and progressively going stronger and deeper so we can handle the new growth that comes into our church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul gives to the Ephesians some good encouragement here and some good advice. He says, first of all, let's read that. Christ chose some of us to be apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors, and teachers so that his people would learn to serve his body and would grow strong. He's not looking for a single entity to grow the church. That's why he's calling a five-fold ministry. He's calling multiple sets of skills, multiple sets of giftings to grow a church. We need to have all of these operating in our church if this church is going to grow. And it doesn't always happen in one person. This isn't talking about me, the pastor, growing the church. He's talking about all of us together, you and me together, growing the church. And we have to be obedient to follow that and to listen to that. Continuing on, this will continue until we are united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature, just as Christ is, and we will be completely like him. We must stop acting like children. We must not let deceitful people trick us by their false teachings, which are like winds that toss us around from place to place. Love should always make us tell the truth. Then we will grow in every way and be more like Christ, the head of the body. Christ holds it all together and makes all of its parts work perfectly as it grows and becomes strong because of love. So the significance of church growth for us personally, as the members grow, the church grows, and we all have a part in that. No matter who you are, no matter what your position here in this church is, no matter what your age, you have a part to play in the growth of our church. And we don't have to be perfect to do that. We don't have to be perfect to grow. How many of you have seen a perfect, I mean a perfectly shaped maple tree or an oak tree? I don't think there's such a thing as a perfectly shaped tree, but I've seen a lot of big trees. And what that means to me is that I don't have to be perfect to grow. A, a small tree... Um, and when, it's, it, when it's growing, can be nicked and scarred and marred. People can, you know, carve their initials in the bark, and you can have, you know, I love so-and-so, and, or people will take it and they'll make target practice out of a tree, and they'll shoot it full of holes and get lead in it, and, and you can, you know, a, a tree limb can break and become disformed. But that doesn't stop the tree from growing. 
So even if you're not perfect, you still can grow. So many times a hindrance to growth is just thinking that we have to be perfect. That's a lie from the enemy because no one in this room, no one on this world is perfect. But yet we all need to grow spiritually. It doesn't make any difference what mistakes you've made in the past. As long as you repent and make those well with, between you and Christ, as long as you're, you, you take ownership of them, as we talked about in a Sunday school class today, that we take ownership of our problems and ask for forgiveness and ask for repentance, we can grow. Yes, you may be scarred. Yes, you may have something that may be in your past that, that maybe you may not be proud of, but that does not stop you from growing. And if you let that stop you from growing, then you're being deceived. And that's where, that's where Paul talks about do not let false teachers comes in and come in and, and deceive you with teaching that would take you off course or that would blow you around from, from fad to fad or from, from a gimmick to gimmick. That's not spiritual growth. That's like a door swiveling on a hinge. That's making lots of action, lots of, lots of motion, but if there's not solid, spiritual, biblical teaching at part of it, it's not really spiritual growth. It's just a lot of motion. And it looks good. It looks good on the outside, but is there any depth to it? Is there any, any, is there any, any width to it, any foundational strength to it or not? So don't let yourself get caught up into a situation to say, you know, I'm not perfect. Therefore, I really don't deserve to grow. I've made too many mistakes. Let me tell you right now, that's nonsense. That's nonsense and put it away. In the name of Jesus, with the love of Christ, put that thinking away and grow. Number two, one must want progress in the church and in our personal lives. Spiritual growth, like we already said, is not the same as physical growth physical growth. Physically, you're going to grow regardless. Spiritual growth takes a choice. It takes a determination. It says, I'm going to get up on Sunday morning and I'm going to get to Sunday school. I'm going to get to church. I'm going to get to Sunday night um, evening. I'm going to get to Wednesday night Bible class. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do my devotions. It's called spiritual discipline. You're not going to grow unless you have spiritual discipline. You're not going to grow just because you got saved, you know, when you were 12, and now I'm 45. Well, really, I'm 52. But um, you don't grow just because you've been so many years saved. I can be just as immature spiritually at, four, at 52 as I was when I was 12. 40 years. But if I haven't, if I haven't fed my, my spiritual man spiritual food if I haven't been reading the Word and praying and spending time with God, then I haven't grown. So we have to want to. There has to be a desire. There has to be a, 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 um, a desire and just a degree of, of authenticity to say, Lord, help me grow. Help me grow. Help me have the integrity and the discipline to grow. Again, I like what John Engel has to say, or uh, John James has to say. Again, this is the same gentleman that we read earlier. And he says, why is it that so many professing Christians do not make progress and indeed make no efforts to obtain it? Why? Because they care nothing about it. To take up a, progress, a profession is all they desire. In other words, to be called a Christian is all they want to be. 
to be identified with a Christian church is all they want to be. To say, oh, I go to that church, or I go to that church, or I'm of that family, or I'm of that. That's all they're comfortable with. That's a very serious allegation here because there's no growth a part of that. So to take up a profession is all they desire. But to proceed from one degree of piety, piety really is spiritual um, or, or religious um, dogma or the desire to grow religiously, spiritually. So, but to proceed from one degree of, of piety to another, to grow in grace, to go on unto perfection, is no part of their ambition. There must then be concern about the matter. Is it possible to be a Christian and yet destitute of this desire? To grow in grace? No, it is not, he says. I tell you, it is not. If you have no concern to grow in grace, there is no grace in you. You are a piece of dead wood and not a living branch, a spiritual corpse and not a living man. In this state, there can be no growth, for dead things never grow. So where are we spiritually? If you're, if you're already dead spiritually, you're not going to grow. But as long as there's a desire, as long as there's that, that, that inkling in you that you want more, then you have the potential for growth. And it's something we need to keep moving forward to and we need to keep uh, embracing it. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 says, We have so much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we're not unique. Paul was writing to the Hebrews about the same problems. There were people in the, in, the, in the early church that wanted that profession to be Christians, but yet had no desire to grow. So Paul had to come to them and say, in love, he said, guys, grow up. Come on. Everybody understand what you've got to do. You should be teaching now. You're old enough. You're, you've been a Christian long enough. You should be teaching. But instead, you're still on spiritual milk because you haven't grown up. And that's what Paul's telling to the, to the early church. And that's so much the problem that we have in our churches today. We have a lot of older people that are not spiritually mature. So therefore, we need to check ourselves. Who are we? What are we? What are we doing? How are we growing? Just because we're seniors doesn't mean that we're immune from growth. Just because we're out of high school, we're out of college, we're into our working world, that doesn't mean that we're immune from growing spiritually. We're constantly in a state of growth. Constantly in a state of growth. Then number three, uh, progress, progress brings opposition. Opposition to progressive growth can come from both within and without. And there is a lot of opposition for, to spiritual growth. As a church body... We can, get, we can become very complacent with our little church feel. We can like it. We have our own church seats. <laughs> we, have our, we have our little position of power. We have our own comfort zone. We like it the way it is. We really don't want to grow because now all of a sudden we have to extend ourselves to people we don't know. We have to be friendly to guests. We have to invite people to our houses that we don't know very well. 
we have to get our hands dirty because maybe somebody needs to be discipled. Because maybe somebody that's going to come in has a new problem that we don't know about and we don't know how to handle that, so we're, we don't really want that. See, little churches stay little churches because they want to be little churches. And it happens all over. This, in, fact, in fact, most churches, the average attendance of most churches is 80 or less. Now, I'm not a proponent of megachurches, and I'm not saying that we have to be the biggest church in town to be good. I'm not saying that at all. But I am challenging all of us as to do we want to grow? Do you want to grow or not? We have to be careful that we don't let the little church field become too, com- too complacent, too, too comfortable for us. We need to want to extend a hand out. We need to want to go out to the highways and the byways and bring them in and encourage them to come into our, our, little, our little home here. It's a very comfortable little home. But we want to make it grow, and so we don't want that to be an opposition for our growth. It, 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 it requires us to get a little dirty sometimes. It, it requires us to get down out of our comfort zone sometimes. We have a lot in our personal growth and our church growth, a lot of indifference or a lot of apathy or, or, leg, or lethargy that would just naturally come in. I think there's one other thing that I think that brings a lot of opposition to us, and I think this is something that is more prevalent than what we believe, more prevalent than what, what we'll admit to, because it just has kind of infiltrated our society, I believe, in the last 40 to 50 years. And that is that there's a false sense of easiness that comes with salvation. That the Word says, and it's absolutely true, that we're saved by grace. And it's a free gift. It's a free gift. Our salvation is a free gift. But why do we say when it's a free gift that we think it's going to be easy? Free and easy are not the same. I can have, I can have somebody give me something for free, but yet it can be so hard I can't do it. I could have somebody give me a set of weights. If I, if I had a big, you know, 300-pound dumbbell here, they could give it to me. It's free. But I can't lift it up. Just because it's free doesn't mean it's easy. Understand that. Let me give you another example that I think may be a little bit more indicative for, for some of us. I think this started back, I really think this came from back in the 60s. I think back when the old hippie generation came and the Jesus movement came along, I think it said that, you know, this free love and free expression and I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it when I want to do it. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And nobody's going to tell me what to do with my life. And I think that kind of got into our society and I think it kind of worked its way into our Christianity. And it says, you know what, God gave me a free gift called salvation. And we live, on a, we live in, an, in an area of grace because of the cross. And boy, there's a lot of grace because of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for all that. And I'm so appreciative of that. But we've taken it in so many times, in so many ways, we have stepped on it. And we have abused the grace of the cross. And we call it all free and easy. It's all free and easy. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it in a way that makes me feel good. I'm going to do it in a way that I just believe that God's told me how I can live, 
No, I don't read the Bible. I don't need to because God's grace is so big. God's grace is so forgiving. Yes, it's forgiving, but I still need to read the Bible. That's the problem I think we've had with a lot of Pentecostal churches over the years because we spend so much time on our feelings, so much time on our emotions, so much time on what feels good that we forget to read the Bible. We forget to put our roots down into the gospel to really understand what it means to be grounded in the word. And then when adversity comes, we don't know how to handle it because we're, our feelings are hurt. Or we don't feel the same way that I felt last Sunday. I don't have that goosebump feel, therefore I must not be a Christian anymore. Well, again, I say nonsense. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you believed in Jesus Christ, he's your Savior, regardless of how I feel. No difference than on a cloudy day, the sun's still shining above the clouds. But I don't see it. So we have to make sure that we don't equate God's grace with easy living. Another really good example is the military. If somebody enlisted into the military today, are, are, is that a free gift to you? In other words, are you paying the military to go into the military or are you freely going into the military? Scott, you were there. Did, did you have to pay them? No, they paid you. So it was a free, you, you uh, willingly and voluntarily um, enlist into the military. It's a free gift, okay? Like salvation, it's free. But let me ask you, for those that have been there, is basic training easy? Is boot camp easy? But it's free. It's got to be easy. See, if we go down that Christian mentality path to say, well, it's free, God's grace is free, therefore it must be easy, I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that at all. I see a lot of work. Yes, God's grace is free. And yes, I am, I am saved by grace. It's a free gift. But now I have to work to live a Christian life. I have to work hard. I have to come against things in my life. When I grow, I'm going to have spiritual opposition. And I need to work through it. I can't then say, well, wait, 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 wait. God... You gave me something free. Now, why are you making it hard? Who are we, to, who are we to, to put that kind of boundary on God when God says, I'm giving you the path, I'm giving you the path forward, and I'm even giving you the plan. I'm giving you the word of God. If you'd read my word, I would show you how to get through life. I never said it was going to be easy, but I did make a promise that I will be there with you, and I will never leave you, and I will walk with you, and I will teach you, and I will show you the way through it. I'm never, I never said I'd take you out of it, but I'll get you through it. And when we, when we can begin to understand that, then when we expect opposition, then when it does come, we're not taken off guard by it. One other thing about the military, will they let you live where you want to live when you're out of basic training? Do they say, pick your choice. Where do you want to go? You want to go Hawaii? You want to go, where do you want to go? No, they say, you're going where I'm going to send you because they own you. But wait, it was free. <laughs> it was free. How can you tell me? Because you, I own you now. Because you answer to a higher authority. You answer to the government. Well, folks, we answer to Christ. We are in Jesus' army. Who are we to tell Jesus where we're to live? Who are we to tell him what we want to do when we're in the army of God? Yes, we're freely enlisted, and yes, we have God's grace, but he is the boss. 
He is in charge. We're not. I don't have the right to tell God what, you, what I want him to do in my life other than bless me with the promises he's given me, but I have to live to the conditions that he's given me as well. I don't have the ability, I don't have the authority, I don't have the right to claim a blessing without a condition. And we're going to talk about that on a whole other subject when it comes to conditional and unconditional blessings because there are both. There are conditional promises and there are unconditional promises. Thank goodness there are unconditional promises. But most of our life is lived under the conditional promise theory. Most of our life is lived under the conditional issues of God. And why don't we understand that? And why do we want to fight that? Boy, I watched that video last week, and I, and I look at the, magnus, the, the, the magnificence and the awesome power of God, and I realize how small I am, and how then can I take my approach to tell God what to do? Wow, if you haven't seen those videos, you, you need to see them. I really, I, we'll make them available to you. We'll, you can make, you know, you can use them if you want, take them home, or we can show them again. But when I can recognize my position in relationship to God Almighty, it gives me, it makes me want to glorify Him and praise Him, but not tell Him anything. <laughs> I can't tell God anything. So don't be afraid of hard work. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4 says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. That's who we are. We're in the army of Christ. We are trying to please Jesus. And we're living our life to please him, not necessarily to please me. But if I please him, he will want to bring blessings to me. He will want me to be a prosperous life. He will want me to have uh, prosperity and joy and happiness in this world. He's not taking it away. But I have to make sure that I keep my perspective right, my priority focused right, that I have to make sure that I'm pleasing him as my commanding officer. And if I please him as my commanding officer, then his promises will be, will be yea and amen to me. And he will fulfill his promises to me. So that's one area of opposition, and that is our own thinking. Another area of opposition comes from um, our temptations. Our temptations. Yes, we have a lot of temptations. And Satan is very good about temptations, but he doesn't normally hit me head on. He knows that I will not do certain things. But yet he hits me in that my areas of vulnerability. And he hits me in my doubts and my fears and my concerns and my, and my shadow area, not in the black and white area. Where I'm black and white, he knows to stay away from that. He knows he's not going to get me to do the black things. But yet, there are those gray areas of life, and that's where he likes to live. The devil likes to live in the gray area. He likes to live in those areas where he can put the doubt in to say, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? A good example is what happened on the Garden of Eden with Eve. The devil was telling her about all the stuff. She's telling the devil about all the stuff that God said. And the devil said, did God really say that? Bringing up a little doubt, that little temptation, that little area there that will just be enough to cause you to wonder, to wonder. 
You can expect problems in life. You can expect temptations in life. You can expect them to come very subtly. And then we have the temptations. We have the issues that, that I'm reminded of in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, cloud, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, for the fact that they're saying something hinders and the sin, are those two, sounds like there's two different things here. There is the sin, obviously, that we, want to, that we have to throw off. But there's also something that just hinders us. It may not even be sin. But sometimes we let things get in our life that aren't sin, but yet they slow me down. They entangle me. They bind me up. So those other things that would be opposition to you may not just be the, the, the black and white areas of sin, but they may be those things of hindrance that would come to you that disguise themselves as good things. And some of this can be just busyness. Busy, busy, busy. Oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time. I'm so busy. And it's not even bad stuff you're busy with. I'm so busy I can't read the Word. I'm so busy I can't pray. I'm so busy I can't take time out to help a person. I'm so busy I can't go volunteer someplace. I'm, I don't have enough money to, volunteer, to, to give anything. Uh, you know, there's so many excuses that are not sin. But yet we're instructed to throw them off because they so easily entangle us and they slow us down. And those are some of the hindrances. Some other translations tell us that we should let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Or it says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. And it says, so we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that just won't let go. Everything that is not making positive progress in our life, examine it. When you find yourself so busy, Tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, when, you, when you're challenged with something that is, should I do this or should I do that? Should I? And I, I say these only because these are easy examples. I'm not just harping on it. But should I come to church tonight? Should I come to church Wednesday night? Or not? What's really pressing me that hard? What's really stopping me from getting into Bible study? Is it really worth it? Or is that some of the things, that the, the, the hindrances that I need to lay aside and put them down? Because how do I make progress forward unless I'm hearing the Word of God? How do I make progress forward unless I'm in a Bible study? Now, you could be having your own Bible study for all I know, and that's perfectly fine. So I am not harping on church attendance, but I'm just using that as an example because that's an easy one. It's an easy one and everybody can see it. Am I, am I praying enough? Am I reading God's Word enough? Am I being an accountable partner? Do I have an accountability partner in my life that's keeping me moving in the right direction? Those are all things about progress and all things that are opposition to us. And then clearly we do have the face-to-face, -face, um, just pure all the devil, that he comes and that he will give us all kinds of problems. Here's one other area I'd like to challenge you with as well. If you're struggling in an area 
with your, uh, with your, um, with your obedience, struggling in an area of doing right and wrong, let me ask you, who are you hanging with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you hanging with good people or bad people? Are you hanging with the people that are going to give you positive encouragement? Or are you hanging with those that are going to take you down? Yeah, I have people say, well, I can witness in the bar. Yeah, I, yeah, sure you can. Yeah. If Jesus was with publicans and sinners, yes, he was. But you know what? Jesus was pretty strong in his faith. <laughs> I don't know that many of us have the strength that Jesus had or the fortitude of the character that he had. The Bible gives us clear warning about be careful what you, what you get involved with because you may be going with a certain sense of, of accomplishment only to find yourself um, pulled down with them. So be careful who you hang with. What are you doing it for? Who's your friends? Pick your friends wisely, kids in school, those that have, that, that have the choice. Pick your friends. Make sure that you're finding people that are going to be an encouragement to you. To quote John Angel James one more time, he says, True godliness and progress in piety or religious devotion cannot be acquired without great pains. As a man cannot be at once a good soldier while he is a young recruit and before he has been drilled upon the parade ground, so no one can be an eminent Christian as soon as he is converted and before he has been at his drilling. Self-improvement and knowledge by the student and in business by the tradesman, tradesman are the result of great painstaking. No one can expect advancement without labor. As we conclude today, I think one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we have for living for God is that we don't believe, really believe, that it takes work to be a Christian. That it's easy to be a Christian. Now, the God of our salvation is an all-encompassing God. And I'm not trying to give you the wrong impression that it's so hard you can't live it. But I do want to encourage you and tell you that you are going to have to work. You are going to have to work through your salvation. You are going to have to um, work at it and make sure that you don't see yourself making negative progress falling backwards. You are going to have to do that. You are going to have to press forward because you're going to find that, that, time, that those times are going to come. Those moments of opposition are going to come that it's a lot easier just to not do something. You know, the Bible talks about the man that built his house upon the sand versus the man that built his house upon a rock. It's a lot easier to build a house, a lot easier to dig a, dig a hole in sandy soil than it is on rocky soil. But when it comes time for that house to be shaken and that time for that big wind to come, where, do you, where would you have wanted your house to be built? Not on, the, not on the shifting sands, not on the sands of compromise, but on a rock, on the rock of the Word of God. That you know that when the tough times come, that you're prepared. And you don't get that way unless you choose to study, choose to read the Word, choose to bring it into your spirit and make it part of your life so that it becomes part of you. It doesn't happen automatically by itself. 
So as we end today and as we go into the week before you, I challenge you then that you would find opportunities, that you would begin to discipline yourself, to get up a little bit earlier if you have to, or stay up a little bit later if you're a night person, but not to watch the late night TV shows, or not to get up early to watch the Good Morning Americas, but get up and read your word, get up and spend some time in prayer, and you can say, well, that's easy for you to say because this is what I'm paid to do. Yes, I'm paid to do this. But you know what? I'm telling you to do it because that's what God's word says for me to tell you to do. That's why I'm getting paid. <laughs> so if I didn't tell you to do this, then don't pay me. If I'm telling you to be lazy, then don't pay me because I'm not worth my salt. I'm not worth what you're paying me. So I'm asking, I'm encouraging you through love and grace and mercy to get up Get on your feet and do what godly people do, and that is work out your salvation in fear and trembling before an almighty God. Stand with me if you would. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for your mercies and your grace. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would just show us what it means to be to have progress in our life, to never, Lord, give up on the things when they get hard, to never give up and to give in when things get difficult. Lord, never to let opposition to growth be a stumbling block to us. Never let the complacency of life and the complacency of, of church growth ever become too much for us, Lord, that we don't want it. Give us a desire to grow, Father. Plant that desire deep in our heart. And then, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would give us the audacity to do it. Give us the strength and the boldness to live for it. Lord, examine our hearts, Lord, I pray. Bless us as we go to our homes. Bring us back tonight, this week, the midweek services. Be with those, Father, that need prayer. And we honor you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.